seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have me, Sacred Stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Welcome, friends, to episode 145 of Color of Magic, your magic and gaming podcast where we talk about all types of issues that affect gamers at and away from their gaming tables and computers. As always, I am your host, Jaquan Watson, and for 145 episodes, still got my main man, hopefully not dying in the heat of Texas, Brian Allen. How's it going, dude? It's it, it's going. We're like it's not uh, the grid is holding. <laughs> Just have it spontaneously combusted. So fingers are crossed. That's a sad reality. You can say, "Well, the grid didn't break." Yeah. <laughs> like that's too real, man. Too real. And it's July as the Friday part. We hadn't even got to the dog days of August when you expected to be, you know, hell on earth, dude. I've already seen some people down there sharing their phone apps and stuff. Like it's like. 95 degrees at night mm-hmm. i'm like man the hell with that i'm glad i ain't got to deal with that no more so august is gonna be nothing nice yep i dude you're gonna be mad when i tell you what the temperature was today up here oh, God. It, it, it was 81 in my car jesus, <laughs> like, jesus pete yeah it was, it was real nice today i ain't gonna lie it was real nice oh man all right, so hey, before we get into everything, because we have a lot of stuff to cover on this episode, and randomly, we I'm going to title this episode after money because we have quite a few things that actually talk about yeah. money or monetization this week. Oddly, just kind of the way things fall. But before we get into everything, go pay some love to our friends over at Cardsphere.com, a really good website where you can pretty much name your price when you're buying and selling stuff. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's absolutely true. <laughs> And I can prove it because I have two videos up right now. One that you can go watch. It just gives you a walkthrough of how the site works and everything else. And another that shows you how much money I saved basically buying a whole brand new Pioneer deck through their website. And it's a much bigger number than you think it is. So you should go check it out. If you're looking getting into one of these formats, maybe you don't have a Pioneer deck or you don't have a modern deck, but you got a budget you're looking at using, go price some stuff over on Cardsphere. You might be able to save some money. Seriously. Go check it out. I got videos that I show you all about it. Just look me up on YouTube like normal. Just Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N. But most importantly, go pay some love over to the folks over at Cardsphere.com. And if you want to support the show directly, you can go to Patreon.com slash Color Magic. And I don't even remember if I gave some love to John Kelly, who came on board a couple weeks ago. It's been so busy. I don't remember. But you know what? Even if we did, here's another round. And we got a new follower, which has... An amazing username on there, but they're MTG Pack a Day. Okay. I don't know if that's to talk about their addiction or do they maybe crack a pack a day on YouTube somewhere? I haven't been able to follow up yet. But anyway, the two, and the two are mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So thank you for the support. And then of course you can go over to colorofmtg.com slash shop and you can pick up tokens of playmats with our likeness and support the show and rep us when you're out at these events. And speaking of events, before we get into the soapbox here. I do want to tell people, if you catch this in time, you might catch me this weekend in Bellevue at the Command Fest. I'll be there. I, we're doing like some game show type stuff. I believe it's Survey Says, which is basically like a family feud ripoff. And uh, we're going to be doing some speaking engagements, talking about uh, content and stuff, and then doing some, I guess, exclusive gunslinging you can come by. I'm going to have some tokens to give away. Just all kinds of stuff going on. So come by and check me out. It's going to be a lot of fun. But for now... Let's get into the soapboxes. We got some things this week. 
So this is one of those ones where I don't know, man. I feel like I'm on the right, but I'm still going to tread lightly on this one. Because <laughs> I get how... Okay, let me explain the scenario first. Right? So, Philippa Carolla, who is another content creator, wonderful person, she had posted a video, or not a picture, it, it was a picture on Twitter, about how she wore this fancy dress to go out into a magic tournament. And I've joked with Philippa before, like, we've raided each other's Twitch channels, we've, we've talked in different things or whatever. So I was like, hey, now, you know, it's not right to be trying to get wins, distracting people. But, you know, it'd be a pleasant distraction I would welcome. And then I didn't think nothing of it. You know, I put a little smiley face or whatever, obviously joking. I wake up the next day and there's like five or six people just mad. Like, literally, like, this is why women feel unsafe in our spaces and blah, blah, and all that. And I'm like, what? So then I had to check myself a little bit because I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is offensive, right? So I'm like, maybe I am in the wrong because I, you know, I, I held myself accountable on the show before for saying some stuff. So I'm like, maybe this is on me. So then I just send her a message and just like, hey, look, I posted this yesterday. If it was offensive, totally was not my intention. I apologize. We've just joked around before having fun. I wasn't trying to make anything anymore bothersome or whatever, right? She immediately replied with like, no, it's fine. Like, I don't know why everybody's being all worried and blah, blah, whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. So she's not bothered. But still, I'm like, you know what? I get how other people might see this weird or whatever. So let me just delete it, right? It's not worth having up if people are going to be upset and uncomfortable about it, whatever. It's just not worth the hassle. And again, if it makes other people feel better, it's fine. It's not like it's a big chore. But then that got me thinking about another thing. And this is from several years ago. This might be seven or eight years ago, maybe even longer. But it was a, a thread on Facebook where a woman had a daughter who was really into doing little tea parties, like a lot of little girls. But I guess at some point, if I remember right, the little girl had found out about like the Japanese tea service ceremonial, whatever stuff, right? And the mom was like, I don't know. Like, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. So she went out of her way. Went and got like a certain tea set that they use. Got this. I, I'm assuming it's some type of ceremonial robes. I'm not fully versed in it, but at least culturally appropriate stuff to wear. You know, went through the whole thing, explained it, whatever. And then she took some pictures to share it with like social media. And watching people blow up over it and be mad about like, oh, this is cultural appropriation and how dare you, blah, blah. But then what I realized when going through the comments is, Every Asian person I could identify as Asian that was responding, and for sure, all the people that mentioned being Japanese, were enjoying it. They were like, oh, it's super cool. You actually found a spot to get XYZ or whatever. Or like, oh, that's a really cute robe. Or, you know, it's cool that people are trying to learn about whatever. And I was like, why are we always trying to be offended for other people? Because I don't know about you, Brian, but I've had that happen in my life where I've had other people step up to try to defend me for a thing. And I'm like, I wouldn't even bothered by that, y'all. Like, I get it. You're trying to do the right thing, but, like, it's cool. You know, like, so, like, and, and it's tough, right? Because people want to do the right thing. And, and I mean, I, and I am certainly glad that people want to do the right thing. Exactly. And that's like, so it's weird because I don't want to necessarily, like, discourage the behavior. But at the same time, it's like, is there a way you could try to get a little more context before just going off? You know? Because... Even in the case of like that woman and her daughter, like 
even when I read through it, I my first thought was like, oh, cool. So you immediately identified that like, this could be a little bit of a problem. Let's go ahead and research it. Let's get all the right things. So if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. And I'm like, that's to me in my head. I'm like, that's how you should do it, right? Like, hell, personal example. I have some friends right now. One's American, one's Indian. They're going to be getting married in a couple of weeks. They invited me to the wedding. They're doing two very small weddings. They're doing one that's American traditional and they're doing one that's traditional uh, Indian, right? And they were like, yeah, we want everybody to dress up, do this. So like, I got this nice dashiki outfit or whatever, but before I got it, I ran it past them. Cause I'm like, hey, I don't know if this has like some symbology or just looks a certain way. I don't want to upset the grandparents. You know what I mean? Yep. But, you know, I still want to participate to the level you want me to participate in. So like I went, did my research. Everything looked like it checked out. I, I decided what outfit I wanted to wear. I ran it by them and they were good with it. Right. So like if somebody's going through all the effort to try to, even if they get it wrong, if they're going through the effort to try to understand and do it right, what are we being mad about? You know, but, but I feel like we see that a lot. And it's just like, let's just slow down a second. Let's get some context. Like, I'm not even worried about myself personally. Like, I can deal with that. But I just see too many people sometimes getting attacked for no reason. I'm just like, there was no ill intent there, y'all. Like, yeah, sometimes people misstep. Like I said, we've misstepped and, and held ourselves to it on the show. But, like, understand the intention behind it before just going off on somebody. All right, I'm done. That was a long one. I'm sorry, y'all. But like <laughs> I like I said, I knew it was gonna be a little bit of a thing. But yours is actually more interesting than mine this week. So uh, as you may know, the talk show The Real came to an end recently. It was kind of like well, it was a similar format, you know, to the view, the talk, uh women talking about issues that affect them and their families. The difference being you know, this was a this was primarily a panel of women of color. That was the way the show was set up. And uh, we're finding out some of the behind-the-scenes stuff because there's no reason not to talk about what went on behind the scenes now. And Amanda Seals mentioned, you know, she she, it, she was a pretty, you know, pretty important get for them at the time, back I think around, uh, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna say the year because I'm sure I'll be wrong, I know it off the top of my head. But uh, she ended up leaving after about six months, and uh, she would, and that's just a real kind of, uh, some of the things that made her feel like, you know, even though this is supposed to be a talk show for women of color, just that it didn't seem like it was going that way. She created a game and a show called Smart, Funny, and Black, so they wanted to do a segment based on that on The Real. That's a fine, it's a good idea. She's excited about it until she said they had, I think, uh, Three black female producers, one black male producer, and one white woman, and three guesses who was put in charge of her smart, funny, and black segment. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so she asked, okay, you know, just uh, just try to understand the, the, the thought process here. Why would you give smart, funny, and black to the one white producer on, on the show? Yeah, and the, then, at the bare minimum, at least have two people be co-producers or something. Yeah. And then uh, apparently the, the producer, you know, went to management like, she's making this difficult for me. She's making my job harder. You know, the black women stop. If you heard this before, she's being difficult. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
And that's kind of when she knew, like, yeah, this this just show. This, 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 I love the, the the content of the idea, but this show isn't gonna work for me. And we see this so many times where people of color are trying to do something that speaks to our experience, but then you know the executive meddling kicks in. And I, I I've shared this story before about how you know when they were making the. The uh, not Black Panther, but the movie about the historical Black Panthers. How you, they said producers were trying to shoehorn in, you know, could, could maybe Kevin Costner or, or Keanu Reeves be in this somewhere? Like, why? What would they be doing exactly? Well, Dances with Wolves was so popular. Right. <laughs> it's just, they don't even, it, it, I started to say it's getting better, but The Great Wall was what, just a couple of years ago? Where yeah, that's true. Like, I actually, till I saw the cast, loved the concept of, hey, the Great Wall wasn't built, you know, to, to keep out military enemies. Okay, a, a fantasy series based on the Great Wall of China. And then, a, wait, who's going to star in this? Matt Damon? Mm-hmm. What y'all doing, Hollywood? Dude, I got to tell you, I've got some love for Amanda Seals because when I had that ridiculous, like, black teacher viral treat, tweet a couple years ago, she actually was sharing it and talking about it on her podcast. So that was pretty oh, cool. Okay. So yeah, like, and she actually is damn funny. Like, right. She's very entertaining. Like if y'all haven't seen any of her stuff, go look her up online. She is very funny. Definitely. So yeah, it's just, uh, I guess an example of the kind of stuff that black people go through as we try to create content in addition to, you know, Hate raids. Uh, yeah, exactly. All the other stuff. That death threats. All the other things. Just, just another day at the office. And again, if it's happened to somebody, you know, that like, like somebody like Amanda Seals that has had numerous stand-up, stand-up shows, has had, you know, basically on a nationally syndicated talk show, there just doesn't seem to... Maybe once you reach Oprah's level. But it's just done for well, But see, the difference with, like, Oprah and Tyler Perry is they just bought it the whole damn thing. Exactly. They, they were just like, well, to, you know how we fix this? We'll just yeah. be in charge. Like, yeah, we're basically... They answer to almost no one. Imagine for, how wild that is, too, for both of them. Oprah just bought a whole ass network. Just said, like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to do this from the ground up. Yeah. And then Tyler Perry was like, you know how we get more black movies? I'm just going to be the movie studio. And now he right. owns the largest studio lot in the country and apparently his contract with uh bet plus is about to come up and they're saying uh, i think right now it's 150 million a year and they're thinking yeah it's probably time for tyler to get a raise because mm-hmm. uh, as tyler does when tyler comes in it's like in six months five of the top 10 shows on your channel are tyler perry oh, and you would not be shocked if that ends up being like a five, six hundred million dollar deal. Easy. Right. Easy. Because again, he, you know, you were talking about how, how to get all the money and make sure, you know, you get to, you get all the creative control. All written, produced by, directed by, and starring Tyler Perry. He gave, by the way, you get separate checks for all those things. So, yeah. Well, that and good old Madea. Right. <laughs> Man, how funny is that, too? Like, he started out, like, that's how he got known. Right. With just effectively being an old black woman in drag or whatever, right? But, like, turn that into the empire he's got now, like, 15 years later or whatever, right? That's that's because wild. He, he spoke to the fact that, you know, if you look at the top 10 movies any given weekend, there are very rarely any people of color in them. Well, he figured it out. 
Yeah, I mean, like, for as much as people want to talk crap, like he's turned it into an empire. You would th- you would think you know it'd be easier for someone to notice. Hey, wait, we put no black people in these movies yet. When Tyler Perry does a movie, they do millions of dollars. They're, they understand now, you know, but it took a long time. Hey, you got somebody's got to be first, I guess, to shift the right. tide. Well, all right, Brian, you know what time it is. We got to tell everybody about all the fun stuff we learned over the last week. So let's uh, educate some people and let them know what it is we learned this week. All right. Uh, game I've been talking about for, I guess, probably about a month now, Multiverses. It's out. It's, uh, you know, uh, f- if you haven't heard about it, it's a fighting game. It's a platform fighter. So if you're familiar with the uh, Smash Bros, Brawlhalla, those type of games where it's basically, you know, uh, different different player counts. Basically, you're standing on you know platform. You gotta build up some of these damage and throw them off of it. And it's it's just full of order. I'm talking about everybody that Warner Brothers owns, from you know Shaggy and Scooby Doo to Arya Stark <laughs> and Batman. Is it? Are there are rumors that LeBron James, I'm assuming Space Jam version, is gonna be, WB is just you know throwing all their properties. If you think about it. That's a whole lot of properties. It almost seems, though, like that could be too much in the first version. Because, like, what do you hit the sequel with or DLC with? You know what I mean? I mean, it's a good problem to have. You know, for for a lot of games, you, you do that. Like, for example, I think the most recent one was Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. And, boy, I, I hate to back a bus over Nickelodeon because that game was fun. But it just... Nickelodeon, you know, ha- has the budget. We know they didn't spend the budget. They launched without voice work for some. I get just a budget thing. They just didn't spend the money to pay all the actors. Whereas yeah, that, Brothers, that's just dumb because that's like half the fun of the cartoon characters. Right. SpongeBob being silent was just that was game breaking. And I think it's part of what kind of just killed the hype for that game. Yeah. As opposed to in multiverses, we've got all the original voice actors, pretty Kevin Conroy as Batman, and so on, you know, and, and they even have, you know, lines that interact with like Batman and Arya Stark have lines where they each other they're sharing this bizarre multiverse reality that they don't understand, but they got great I think that of course characters you would expect like Scoot, uh, Shaggy and Velma have obvious lines. There, there's a lot. I, you can tell it is a even if you hate fighting games, this is not just a fighting game. It's kind of like a love letter to all these classic uh, and, and some, some current TV cartoon characters also. Like there's a one of Velma's moves is she collects clues. And if she collects enough clues, she'll bring the police in and they can arrest you. And uh, I did that the other day, and uh, Shaggy drops a voice line about how, surely you didn't think that was old man Jenkins. <laughs> yep. Man, you know what? You know what I would love now that you mentioned that? Like, if somebody could give me a mixed game with, like, the Hanna-Barbera stuff or... Yeah, that, like, that's this. Hanna-Barbera is Warner Brothers. Yeah, but I'm like, but, like, the 80s cartoons and stuff, like, where you could get, like, I don't know, uh, like, He-Man in there with, like, the Smurfs and, like, I don't know, just the most, like, random things. It seemed like that'd be a blast. Who has he been now? Is that? Is that I haven't been know. Mattel, but Mattel got bought by I think by Hasbro, maybe. Yeah, I want to say I think that's a so. Hey, Hasbro, everybody else is doing it. It just seems like be, Hasbro has a lot of stuff in their lines too. Yeah, they got a lot they could work with. I mean, you still have to get like your licensing partners to sign off on it, but like that's a lot to work with. 
Space hell, was, with just the Transformers alone, you got a whole exactly. thing. I was thinking, you know, who else could drop a game like this and have enough of a following where people would buy it and Transformers fight a game be a day one purchase. So, so hey, we, we just need a little producer credit, Hasbro. Shut up and take our money. Yeah, Transformers would be a good one. But like I said, there's a bunch of classic cartoons, too, that could totally fit that from the 80s and 90s. You know, all the Saturday morning stuff that people used to wake up and watch. Right. Like, you could really kill it with that just from a nostalgia standpoint, I bet. I would think so. But yeah, definitely. If you if you enjoy fighting games, I can't recommend it. it even if you don't, I think you'll enjoy just some of the Easter eggs and just the fun interaction between the guys. Plus, it's free to play. So, hey, try it. You might like it. Yeah, that's hard to beat, too. Like, you can just load it up and give it a go. So here's an interesting thing. And it's weird because I, I, I learned this in the last it's inside of the last two weeks, but it's a thing that apparently has been available for a very long time. So I feel a little bad, actually. But I was pointed out to me, and we talked about that big thread I had last week about ridiculous injuries you get as you get older. Well, somebody responded like, hey, because you didn't have captions, here's an updated one or whatever. And I was like, what are you talking about? And like, you can add descriptions to the anytime you post a picture or whatever. And I was like, what? So it turns out, Anytime you post a picture, desktop, iPhone, or Android, like you can go in and there's a little thing at the bottom, and you see it's a it's more uh what I would say is I guess more obvious on desktop. It just says hey add description. You click the little thing and you put in your description of what's what's in the picture. On I don't know how it looks on on Apple, but on Android, it, on the picture itself, if you look in the lower right side, there's a thing that says Alt Plus, and you click that and you can add the description there. And the benefit of this, to my understanding, is so it can be captured through captions and read to people who potentially can't see the picture for various reasons. And I was like, well, this is damn cool. Now, part of me was like, man, now I feel like a jerk. This has been here all this time and I didn't use it. And I was kind of being pseudo ableist, which is kind of bad. But obviously, I put up a picture today and I, or yesterday, actually, and I included a description. Because now I know it's a thing, right? So it's kind of cool to know that that's even a thing we can do now. I mean, I guess we could have done it the whole time. But, like, I didn't know. And what's bad is it's one of those things that, like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. But, like, I feel like all this time, I just didn't see it somehow. I feel like I I learned two or three things a week, especially technology-related. I feel like we're there the whole time, and I don't know how I didn't know it before then, but... Yeah, that's exactly how I feel, because even now I look at it and I'm like, this has been here the whole time. And it's weird because now that I know it exists, it feels painfully obvious that it exists. So part of me is feeling like, are there people in the world now that just feel like I'm just a jerk because I've never been adding descriptions to all my stuff, even though it's right there? But like I... There are people that probably feel that way, but I don't think that's why. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true. They probably think I'm a jerk for other reasons. But like... Seriously, I did not even know this was even remotely an option, but I'm really impressed that it exists because I don't think I can do that on other platforms, but it's definitely a thing I can do on Twitter. So just something to share with the world that if you go to post a picture, then add a short description to it so people can know what's in your picture. Because the one I shared, which was really funny, was I think the caption is something like people that are into proxies drive around like, and then you see the picture 
and they've got like a piece of paper around the wrist that says Rolex and they've got a paper around their cup that says Starbucks or whatever. And then like a thing over there, like armrest that says Lamborghini, which is pretty funny. Right. So I did little things saying like paper over person's wrist that says this and, you know, whatever. But it was just kind of neat. I just the fact that it's even a thing. So, yeah, there you go. I get to share that with people, which is kind of exciting. And I know it's something very simple, but it's cool that it's a built in option that I can make stuff more accessible for people and they can participate in more conversations, which is kind of neat. I just never knew it was a thing. But anyway, let's get into the news of this week because we have more money things to talk about. So guess what time it is? Hasbro put out their quarterly reports. So you know what that means? Magic nerds went stupid. So that's just kind of how it goes quarterly. And it was good news for Magic, uh, or I should say Wizards of the Coast and Digital Gaming, not just Magic. But uh, they made some pretty good money with the Magic stuff. I believe Magic itself, they said, grew 15%, I believe was the tabletop, they call it, revenues by Magic. And uh, everything else also seemed to be doing well. You know, they said a few things. uh, Some of their, like, the launch of Dark Alliance and some other things, like, Slightly decreased over last year, but that's because they had new releases last year. So that makes sense. Not a big surprise. But yeah, operating operating profits were up. Uh, revenue was up as a whole. So yeah, good news for um, Magic and D&D. And Hasbro overall, honestly, seemed to do fairly well. How are they doing this when Magic is dying? I don't understand. Yeah, that's the weird part, right? where people still want to claim that magic's dying. Now, the weird part is, too, people saying, like, well, just because they're making more money doesn't mean the game's not dying. And I'm like, bruh, if they've been doing this consecutively for five, six years, and in many cases showing quarterly double-digit increases, like, that's that's not dying. Yeah, I usually, before, and have, having worked for a, a number of places that went out of business, there are signs. <laughs> and I, none of the places I worked went out of business had, you know, a 10, 50% profit increase every year. It starts to trend in the other direction. And depending on how big the company is, it trends in the other direction for sometimes five to 10 years before they kind of, hey, you know what? We can't do this anymore. Yeah, I don't. I don't really understand that argument. Like, I get what they're trying to justify to themselves. It's like, well, players are leaving and the game's going to die. They just don't know it yet because they're just they're blinded by the money or whatever. But like, you know what? I'd wipe my tears with some Benjamins. That's all I'm saying. Like, (laughs) Give me that opportunity. Right. But really, I mean, you can't like, again, we can be mad about stuff. But, you know, people saying that, well, double masters is too expensive. Yet, literally, if like. One of the surveys that Wizards put out to retailers was, how did your audi- local audience, uh, what, what was the term they used? How did your local audience receive Double Masters 2022? Overwhelmingly positive. Not even like kind of good, whatever. Like, I mean, it had to have been like 90% plus. And a bunch of people are like, I wish I had more. I could have sold this and blah, blah. Like, we were selling ours over this much over retail, blah, blah. So like... We can all say it's too expensive and be upset about it. But like I said, we, I, we've talked about it before. There's crazy more expensive collectible products in the world. But if everybody's selling out and everybody wants more, is it too expensive? I think part of the, the problem is, you know, we, especially us old timers, grew up where 
when a set came out, you know, you could uh, you could eventually collect the whole thing for, let's say, I don't know, really back in the day, some of the games I played, probably two, three hundred bucks could easily earn tech. In some cases, much less than that gets you an entire set of things. And no, imagine getting there anymore. If you are good, if you plan to collect everything, yeah, you're you're not going to enjoy all the product Wizards is putting out. Sure, but how many because of us you, really need to collect everything? None of us need to, but some some many of us want to. And yeah, that's if you want to do that. Yeah, it's going to it's it's a whole it, it, money aside. It's like having a second or third job to try to collect sure. everything. Totally agree. <laughs> And you can't even play everything. You don't have time in your life to play everything. That is exactly it for me. Like, people that say, like, oh, well, I got to get a full set of this and I got to get four copies of that. I'm like, when are you in your lifetime? When are you going to play all those? Like, never. Like, I'm actively playing Arena every day and I don't even use some of the cards. Right? Like, I, I'm now going to, to a Command Fest and stuff and I'm still only going to be taking like four decks with me. Like, I, I don't. Like, and don't get me wrong, I saw this one dude, I don't know if you saw the picture he was sharing, I wish I remember the guy, but he basically has a whole wall of his garage where he's trying to make a commander deck for every legend that ever comes out. Like, he literally yeah. has them, like, organized all the way down the wall, like, crazy. And I'm like, okay, that person, they might need everything. Yeah. But Most I'm assuming this? he's also bankrolled where he can afford it. Right. But, so, like, I get it. Like, like... We want the game to be more accessible. Totally understand that. And and I'm with it. But especially when we're talking about reprint set stuff, I don't have a problem with that being expensive. Because we're getting rare, collectible, foil, etched, whatever versions of things of which there's regular ones already available. And when the price comes down for the month or two after those releasing, grab them. Right? If you want one, now's the time. So, like, they're giving you basically a chance to get the thing you wanted at, like, in some cases, as much as 50% off what it used to be. So, snag it up. You know, like, they did you a favor. And I remember remember reading somebody talking about how, you know, I think they were a restaurant critic and talking about how they had to just one day sit down and accept the fact that they would never, you can't physically live long enough to eat at every restaurant in New York. Even if you started when you were an actual infant. And I thought about, you know, the same thing. Most that's probably true. There's no doubt in my mind that's true. Yeah. I think it probably applies to every... It probably applies to suburbs. You just won't have time to eat at every single restaurant. In some cases, nor will you want to because you don't like everything. And I think that applies to so many... Like it, Again, it applies to magic decks. You're not going to live long enough to play all of them. <laughs> just, well, yeah, just, like the dude that wants to have you know a deck for every legend. I'm just like... That's a lifetime project. Just yeah, like, that. It's cool just to have a hobby and something to do. And, you know, but like you're never going to play. Actually, I bet you more than half of those won't ever get played once. Right. You know, it just has it. And that's fine. Like people have project cars or exactly. whatever. Right. Everybody has their hobby. So, you know, I'm not faulting them for doing it. It's probably fun for them. It gives them yeah, something exactly. to whatever, whatever, you know, especially as the world burns around us, whatever. It gives you that bit of happiness. Sure. And, and you know, even, you know, coming back to the proxy stuff from earlier, I told people, I even when I posted that, I'm not knocking people for using proxies. I wasn't even trying to have that argument. It was just a funny picture. But 
I do tell people that like I'm cool with a proxy or two being in decks when we sit down, but like if somebody sits down and has like a whole proxy deck, I'm like, come on. If we're not playing higher level, you know, CDDH or whatever, you don't need to proxy everything. Like, hell, I have a deck where I have some expensive cards and I have some junky ones that are in the same deck. It's like cool. And I've still won games, still had a good time with it. We don't have to have all these other cards. So, like, even using that as a reasoning is kind of flawed in a way. But I don't know. I, I look at this and say, like, Hasbro made money. Now, their actual, like, operating profits after adjusted uh, taxes and everything, still only, like, a 6% increase over last year. But that's still 6%. You know, 6% when you're talking, like, hundreds of millions of dollars. So, you know, whatever. They're still doing better than last year. But... I don't know. There's nothing really that feels abnormal reading through the report. You know, I think people just see a number and just go like, oh, Wizards made this much. They should just be spending and whatever. But it's like they got that number because they weren't spending frivolously like you want them to. Or bring in John Finkel and the uh, hedge fund to take over because they're screwing up over there. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? Like that that argument of like, well, Wizards could be making even more money. And like, and that was also weird too when – People are upset Wizards is making all this money, but then you're wanting them, if you believe the logic, you're wanting to bring in these other people that are specifically wanting to come into Wizards so Wizards makes even more money. Like, that didn't make any sense either. So, that and to Hasbro's credit, this also looks like they made the right decision. You know what I mean? Like, you have two quarters in a row now where you're like, oh, no, we made significantly more money than last year. So, whatever, right? So, and this isn't me defending Watsi. Obviously, we have talked about things that we agree with, we disagree with, right? But when it comes to them just making money, they're just doing business things. Like, the only reason we're even talking about it is because a bunch of other people made us think about it. But at the end of the day, this is sort of what we should have just expected from the report. Like, it would have been more stunning if they'd have said Hasbro lost money last quarter. Because, again, if you made money during, you know, a time when none of us pretty much could go outside and play, at this point, you assume it just continues making money barring nuclear war or something. <laughs> yeah. And, and not only that, this it's, it's even more interesting because people don't understand you're also accounting for uh, currency changes. Because what people don't know is like the euro has come down to being worth yeah. like two cents less than a dollar now. Or at least it was a couple of days ago. I don't know if it is now. It might be back to even. But we no, haven't, I mean, had I haven't checked my stonks today. Good, good call. <laughs> but yeah, we haven't had the euro equal to the dollar since, hell, since I was young, young. I mean, I feel like I was probably a teenager or younger the last time that was a thing. Like I, in my adult life, I mostly remember it being like close to a dollar and a half to a, to a dollar at one point. So like. Even that is stuff you have to account for, that all the market's changing and everything else, and they've still maintained that level of sales. So that's actually pretty damn good. And that's not to mention that I found out recently, I totally wasn't aware, there's like a D&D movie coming soon? Oh, yeah? Yeah, where they yeah, cast they actually, big they actually, Yeah, they're actually spending... That was the problem with the first one, is I think their big ticket guy was Marlon Wayans. He wasn't bad, but the movie was bad. Yeah, but just it, it just you know going back, back just, more Hollywood talk than you ever wanted. But movies that make money require stars. Marlon, and if you're making a comedy, okay, yeah, Marlon Wayans can carry that bad boy. He it is proven that he can do that. If you're making what is supposed to be 
uh, a, a Lord of the Rings competitor with one of the most famous brands in fantasy. Marlon Wayans can't carry your movie. That's just I, you know. You know. I, I think you could get by if you have like huge budget to cover up a lot of that. That's, yeah. I mean, it's been proven though that you really can't. They tried that with World of Warcraft. They spent a bunch of money on World of Warcraft, but, but World it Warcraft had, didn't, didn't do terrible either. It, it didn't do well. Now people didn't that were hardcore Warcraft fans didn't like it. But like I don't I'm pretty, think, I don't I'm think pretty it sure that movie profited too. Hold I, don't, on a second. I don't think it did. I have the internet here. This is such an entertaining radio. I, I feel like I wrote several stories for entertainment see, sites. I, I could about be wrong. What see. a big bomb it was. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Okay, let's see what it did here. Uh, go to the Wikipedia because it'll tell us how much it made. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Worldwide, it's the highest grossing film of all time based on a video game. Not a surprise because a lot of those suck. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not even sure that's current because they've made a bunch of Resident Evil movies since that came out. That's true as well. That may not. Yeah, those things. Those money. things make a bunch of money. Uh, let's see. It said at least in the U.S. it lost money on the market to 15 million. Yeah, now internationally, because you know China, China always throws these numbers off. Because for example, Transformers makes Transformers makes money everywhere. Transformers makes like you know, like like Godfather Two money <laughs> in China. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it also did like a hundred million dollars in China, and then like four hundred and thirty, like four hundred million worldwide, or something. But again, if you're trying to launch a World of Warcraft franchise and it takes a bath in the U.S., well, you're you're not making a World of Warcraft sequel. Oh yeah, yeah, you you weren't going to do that, obviously. And same thing happened, I think. And I yeah, I love Paula Patton, <laughs> but she by herself is not going to carry your big budget adventure movie. No, but I mean, like I said, I think there's ways to do it too if you bring in the right writers and whatever. But a lot of times they're not. You know, because like if you go back to Willow as an example, there were some big names in it, but they weren't big names at the time. Uh, Val Kilmer, wasn't Val Kilmer in Willow? Yeah, but I don't remember Val Kilmer being a thing at the time. Val Kilmer was Batman. You remember Val Kilmer was one of the hottest commodities. It's been a long time. That was well after Willow, though. He was in Top Gun before Willow. So between Top Gun and Batman, you don't get to be Batman if they don't think you're, you know, up well, to sure. bar. down the road. I'm like, I don't think it was at the time. No, again, he, that was, that's probably what I'm going to say. What year was Willow? That's within probably five or Willow, six years. Willow was like 87, 88. Yeah, that's within a couple of years of Top Gun. Val Kilmer yeah, yeah, was still yeah. a big draw back then. That's fair. I don't, I don't remember anybody caring that he was Val Kilmer at the time. But I in, in disagree. Yeah. Because when was oh, I'll take your word for it. I'm just saying, like, we were just in it for the fantasy draw. But even then, like I said, it was it was good scripting, good writers. You know, like I think you haven't had that on a DD movie. And at the time, I think Willow lost money. It's become a cult classic because I think they're doing the Disney's even doing a TV show bringing it back. But at oh, the really? time, I didn't know I, they were bringing it back. Yeah. But at the time, I think they considered it a disappointment. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. What was the grossing on that one? 57 million, 80 million worldwide. Oh, no, actually, 137.6 is what they did worldwide. It doesn't say what the cost was. 
And that's the thing. They were thinking, you know, Willow was going to be like a Lord of the Rings type movie. And oh, no, that, dude, it crushed. Like 35 million budget made 137 and a half. Yeah, but it didn't get a sequel is the thing. Like it wasn't. Oh, sure, it, sure. But it didn't become what they, they were expecting, you know, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings type money from that. And that didn't happen. That probably wasn't a fair expectation at the time. Well, yeah, of course. Because I'm like, man, $100 million over what your budget? I, that's solid. Yeah. Especially if you land at $35 million. Which, back then, though, like, that's that's a lot of money when you adjust for inflation. That's, that's a then, lot of money. <laughs> but then we, we've talked about how, you know, Hollywood accounting just gets me. We, we thought it'd make <laughs> we thought it'd make $1 billion. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, I also get that, like, we got sequels to Pacific Rim, and people still griped about that. So, yeah. I don't know. I enjoyed the hell out of Pacific Rim, though. I ain't going to lie. I haven't that seen was, the second one, but I did absolutely enjoy the first oh, one. Oh, dude. Second one, same as the first one. Okay. <laughs> like, not the same plot, but, like, still, you know, all the stuff you enjoyed about the first one, it's in the second one. They just tried to add a little more story because they tried to up the, like, acting quality. But, yeah, you're still there for the big monsters, big robots. Exactly. Like, no different. Like, I appreciate that they tried, but nobody really cared. No. <laughs> like, no. We're we here for Rock'em Sock'em Kaiju's, basically. That's exactly what it was. But uh, let's talk about some other fun stuff that we actually get to say something kind of, sort of positive about Twitch. So as it turns out, we've been doing charity stuff. I say we, the community doing charity stuff through Twitch for, I don't know, the better part of a decade, decade and a half at this point. It's almost since the beginning, since they were just in TV practically. And you know, other services have come on board like Tiltify and whatever to make it easy over the last few years. And all of a sudden, magically Twitch is like, Hey, maybe we should make it easier for people to do charity stuff through our platform. (laughs) Cause this seems to be a thing. So now they have a whole process for their thing called Twitch Charity. And the weird part is, it doesn't appear that it really cost them a ton of time or money from a programming aspect, but they weren't really going to do it themselves. It actually took another content creator to get them motivated to do it. That's often the way with big companies. It's like they know they need to do a thing, but obviously none of the current underpaid employees are taking on another project. So somebody's got to drive the thing. Yeah. And this is kind of like the tough part we talk about Twitch, right? It's like you want to say some positive things, but then you look and go like, why wasn't this already a thing? Like you have other companies that have already proven to you the easy way to do it. Multiples, as a matter of fact. But, like, you just didn't include it. Until Frisk came on, who's a fun follow on t- Twitter, by the way. Absolutely. She apparently got hired on to be part of the project and everything else and made it a reality. So you now have built-in support if you want to run a charity, a giveaway. Now, it uses the PayPal giving fund. So, you know, the money goes through there, which you got to have a service for it to go through because Twitch is not a bank. Yet, <laughs> I mean, Amazon probably would like to be, but they aren't yet. So they have to use an outside service. But other than that, yeah, that's it. You just connect all your stuff. You connect your accounts. It makes sure the money goes where you tag it to go for that charity. And you're all good to go. So it's actually pretty cool. Now, the interesting thing is this might be really bad for Tiltify. You know, I didn't think about this till just now. But like, you know, even if they were getting, let's say, 1% of all the charity money that came through or whatever to help run their site or whatever, 
well, if everybody's doing it native on Twitch and then it's going through the PayPal thing, they might be losing, like, you know what I mean? Like, all those people who had the services previously might be losing out because the majority of your streaming giveaways have been on Twitch. Yeah. Or charity things, I should say. Now, it's possible as time goes by, maybe some people still adopt Tiltify stuff for YouTube things and for Facebook gaming or whatever, so you don't lose complete access to the market. But it's possible that even they start developing their own because YouTube especially already has a bunch of ways that money goes through their system, especially with Google. So, man, so and probably some we don't even know about yet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it, it may not even be long that you can use Tiltify for much of anything that's useful, which is sad because, you know, these companies that have basically been holding up the pillar of charity all this time are probably going to get squeezed out of the market. So I don't even know, like, super positive, though, that Twitch has it built in. Don't get me wrong. Like, that should have been a thing. It's cool that it's a thing now. So credit to Twitch. But now these people that help build it up and show everybody how it's done, sadly, probably just get booted out. And, th- and you know, this kind of comes back to... <laughs> there may still be people that, that prefer to do... Of course, I don't know if you'll have the option <laughs> to, to use the old way or if you have to do it this way. I guess we'll find out more about that. Yeah, you're right, right? That's the other thing. Maybe some people say, I already have everything set up for Tiltify, and I like that, so we're just going to keep doing that. You know, but this sort of feels like, you know, when you see talk in business sometimes where they talk about your exit strategy, right? How much are you looking to sell for? What limit do you need to get to? What market conditions are you looking for to get out? And I feel like at some point, maybe Tiltify should have considered like, hey, do we consolidate and or sell or make some type of deal with Twitch before they do this on their own. You know, I, th- that's just one of those business things you got to be aware of. Like, one of the things we talked about recently, there's a, uh, what, what was the name of the company? Uh, well, there's there's an app platform that's basically trying to let you post Twitch clips to use as a way to get people to uh, follow your, sub to your Twitch channel, right? Basically, uh, Hover, I think is what it's called. Like, trying to, be a different platform for discoverability. Basically doing all the things people want Twitch to do on their own platform. So like at some point, I've had this discussion with people about the best thing for Hover to do is like when you get to a certain user mark, just approach Twitch and Amazon and just be like, hey, we can do a thing or we can sell you our technology or whatever and just get a big payout. Because at some point, it makes sense that that has to be one of the next steps for Twitch. And if you've already done the work for them, it's easier for them to just buy you. Yeah. Instead of put you in a spot where you no longer can make money, right? Because people are only using Hover because that doesn't exist on on Twitch. And I sort of feel like, unfortunately, that may have been what happened to Tiltify in this exchange, too. They're like, we were using those because Twitch, for whatever reason, just didn't give us an option. Now that they are, it'd be interesting to see how this plays out over the next few months. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people who do charity stuff every month. So there's maybe there's enough dollars to go around. I don't know, but... I mean, I have to admit, I use Tiltify, but like, the, I haven't looked at the the widgets yet. But if it's super easy to just turn on the thing on Twitch and then like pick my charity or whatever, it might just be easier to just use Twitch. And that kind of makes me feel a little bad because I I like supporting the OGs that got us from point mm-hmm. A to point B, you know. But like, if the new option's that easy and clean, and your users are already right there, they don't have to click off site or anything. They can just click a button on the screen or whatever. Ah, that's tough, man. 
Yeah, and I mean, it sounds people seem like they're very happy. So there is, yeah, people are excited about it. And like I said, I have to assume when you bring on a big user with a big following like Frisk to head it up, I'm going to assume she worked with them to get all the things that the creators would want to make it easy to use. So right, it's going to probably have a pretty high rate of success for convenience. So yeah. I mean, and this is, and it sucks, but this is when you look back and say, this is just business sometimes, how stuff falls, right? Like, yep. whoever's filling the need in the market, you kind of have to understand where you're at. It, you know, and this this is why I tell people, like, if you don't watch Shark Tank, you probably should be. Because they talk about a lot of business things in very simple terms. And that's one of the things you hear a lot where they're like, okay, what do you, we can build this company this big and then we can sell it to one of the big brands. Or we could do this or we could do that, right? And there's been people that say, like, well, why would you do that? Like... This is exactly the type of reason, right? You get big enough that they can't ignore you, but it's not worth it to fight them knowing at some point they're going to try to do it themselves. So you're just like, it's easier to just sell. They get your expertise in technology. You get to enjoy a vacation for the rest of your life or whatever, right? However much they pay you. Yep. So it's interesting. Interesting. It's, it's a real life example of things you hear. So yeah, but overall, I'm happy about it. I don't know about you. It seems good. I mean, I, I have not done the charity stream yet, but everybody that, that I've seen that has done that seems extremely happy about that. So I'm going to take their word for it. Well, then we're going to leave this one on a positive with Twitch. All right. Well, back on some Watsi news real quick. There was some, I guess, disappointing news for some people that everybody blew up pretty big. But Wizards is discontinuing three of their languages that they print in. They're discontinuing Russian, Korean, and traditional Chinese. And we did a little bit of research. Uh, I also obviously know a little bit from behind the scenes. And I wanted to at least touch on this to kind of put stuff in perspective a little bit. You know, the first being that Russian and Korean were by far the smallest markets that Watsi prints for. Uh, smallest number of stores, smallest number of players. You know, it's just... It's just one of those things. And it has been for years. As a matter of fact, I believe they quit printing in Korean at one point, And then a couple of years later, decided they were going to try again. And they've kept it ever since. But then now revisiting it, you know, uh, closing it back down. But I don't think people understand the issues with printing stuff that small. Is that you can't, it's not just the cost of production. There's a lot that goes into it, right? Because you have, you have to have employees that are paid to be localizers basically they they translate and do everything there you have people that have to stay pay attention to those markets as far as like what are the products coming out when stuff's releasing you know local holidays all that stuff right all that stuff is still figured in as part of the job on that but then anytime you print stuff you also have to have a whole separate print run because all your packaging is different all the language and everything right all of it's different so you have to reset all your seats receipt all your packaging all your boxes there's an expense to all of that, right? And I would assume you also have some artists or whoever has to QA it and make sure the fonts look right over the art and blah, blah, you know, all those things. So like, there's a bunch of little expenses and time or whatever that goes into it for some markets where you're just not making much of anything. And, you know, I obviously can't give numbers, but I will tell you it is not even deep double digits and not even close to deep double digits for the number of stores in these markets that they were even trying to take care of. And even if you said, like, I don't know, I'm just making up a number here, but let's say it was 50 to 100 people per store, that's still not a lot, you know, that you're trying to produce a whole language for, 
for that area, which which is unfortunate. I mean, it, it's, and, it's, and as, as we talked about, I think Russia is not just financial but political. Everybody is halting business with Russia right now for some pretty obvious reasons. Yeah, and honestly, I don't even know. It's probably difficult to even get stuff in and out of Russia right now. Yeah, and to have stuff printed there or whatever. So I'm sure that's a problem, or even keeping communication with everybody in Russia right now. I, yeah, it's a situation thing. where you're not. I mean, even people that are making McDonald's pulled out. <laughs> you know, McDonald's is making money hand over fist, but they just are not trying to deal with Russia right now. That is true. McD's has done some things, and if they're just like, "Nah, it ain't worth it," saying we're out of here. <laughs> when McDonald's cuts bait, you know, pretty much everybody else follows suit. Yeah, so so that says a lot, right? And I and I think that's difficult. And honestly, could be some of the same issues with Korea, right? If you're already having issues getting stuff, and I don't know, because again, COVID, shipping issues, printing issues. If you're already having trouble getting stuff in and out, or there's been delays, or there's extra costs, and you're already not making much there, that's tough, right? And and I get it. People say like, well, they just made two hundred million dollars and whatever, like. Yeah, but, you know, are they going to be spending, I don't know what the number is, like a million to make 50000 or or 100000 at the end of the day after everything? Like, is that worth it? Uh-huh. Right? So I mean, I guess you could, you could argue that maybe they should do it as outreach, but it's not an obligation. Yeah. Uh, altruism is not something big businesses do. Like, let's just be real. Like, even donations or whatever. Sometimes I'll do it because somebody at the company has a connection or whatever, but they still are getting write-offs for it, you know? <laughs> like, so I, I don't really know the traditional Chinese a little bit different because you already have simplified Chinese that's still being printed a lot of people can still read that locally and use it so that one's not so bad and you also found out that apparently well, what is the percentage of people in Korea that apparently speak and read English well yeah that was the thing right we were researching this before the show it turns out something like almost 60% of the people in Korea are actually taught English so a very large percentage of the community can speak English. And then a whole different section of the community actually speaks Chinese. So it's very possible that between those two languages, you can still take care of around close to 80% or more of the population. If that's the case, I also could understand that being somewhat of an argument for Watsi to discontinue that, right? If you're saying, hey, we talk to the locals that we have there the employees say every, the majority of people speak one of these two other languages anyway. We're already printing those two languages. English cards already go to that region because they go to like Taiwan and stuff on top of that. So it's like maybe it's not a problem. And I think you know? the other thing is, you know, it it's definitely speaks to the privilege we have because, yeah, we are, you know, our cards will obviously always be in English. And other, for sure, other than things like supply side crises, we're going to, you know, always have cards. As we were talking about earlier, sometimes we have more cards than we can ever afford to buy. But yeah, I'll be honest, if I heard tomorrow that they were going to stop printing magic cards in English, yeah, I'm probably picking up Yu-Gi-Oh! or, or Flesh and Blood or something, because sure. as as somebody that lives in America, that that's the privilege I have. I have what, 40, 50 card games printed in English that I can choose to play. I mean, you know, there's, there's Japanese card games that we will never have in English that look damn cool, but I don't speak Japanese, so I'll never mm -hmm. be able to play them, you know? And some of them look sweet. They have a bunch right. there that are based off like animes and off of like video games and stuff that are damn cool looking, but I'm just like, yeah, I, I wouldn't even begin to know how to play this game on a technical level even yeah. if I learned what the cards did. Nor would you have anybody to play against. <laughs> well, that's, that's a different you problem. Would, you wouldn't catch on over here more than likely. That's just... 
You didn't happen to look up America's number for how many people are bilingual, <laughs> did you? Oh, I already know it's a small number. I already yeah, got to look that one say. up. <laughs> that's, that's sadly one I don't even need to look up. I know yeah. that answer. It is very small. So, yeah, you know, it, it's tough, right? Because the sympathetic part of us says, you know, there will now be some number of players in each of these regions that will struggle to play the game if to play the game at all, right? They just may not speak the appropriate languages. They may not just have access to the cards anymore because, again, if you print printing, quit printing in some of the local languages, some number of places are just going to quit selling it. Some players are just going to quit participating in it. So that's going to make it harder to find players and places to buy it. Like, it's also possible, you know, like we talked about, like, does it come back into Russian next year or the year after once we're past like the whole war crises or i don't yeah. know maybe putin's replaced or something and and sentiment from changes. your lips to god's ears well yeah i'm just saying <laughs> I, I don't get that guy out of here yeah not to make it political but like i don't know what the outcome is going to be right I, so, at this point we, we almost can who's you know who's really good putin's own people for the most part aren't cheered for vladimir Putin. that is true we've actually seen reports of that but so, yeah, maybe he gets replaced or whatever politics change. And then they're like, OK, it's affordable. It makes sense to go back into Russia. Like, I don't know. But I don't think it was a crazy big story from the side of like it kind of makes financial sense when you dig into all the numbers. But the other side of that is it does suck for some number of players. And now it may be a small, smaller numbers in Korea and China, but it could be a significant number for the players in Russia. Yeah. You know, in journalism, we say all politics are local. And I often say that, you know, all board and card games are local because, yeah, when, when people say magic is dying, we talked about this uh, pre-show. Usually what they often mean is it died for them because the group they played with stopped playing. And, yeah, at that point, if you can't get a game, the game is dead to you. Oh, yeah. Like, and, you know, like we talked about, like I, people have been saying the game's been dying for 15 years and hell longer than that, honestly. And most of the collections I buy are usually because either life change and they're not going to be able to play anymore or the game's dying and or their friends quit. So they want to get out before the game falls apart. Right. That's literally if you ask me the two major reasons people sell me stuff regularly, those are the two. So, I mean, it's tough, but it'd be interesting to see. I don't I would venture to guess their numbers are not going to be largely impacted quarter to quarter. And you're probably not going to see much change operationally. It'll just be interesting to see, like, when we get to, say, the next Pro Tour, World Championship, whatever, is there representation from those countries? And, you know, are they able to prepare the same way or whatever? Like, are Korean players still going to be active and qualify for Worlds? You know, I would think so. But is that going to be the case for Russian players? I don't, I don't know. It's interesting, though. It's definitely something to kind of keep our eye on for future topics. But that brings us to the dinner table. And this is actually kind of a... I don't want to say touchy topic. I think one that just people give more weight to than they should. And this is going to kind of become somewhat of a PSA, I think, between the two of us. (laughs) But I've seen a couple of times... In the last week, twice between other content creators and once for somebody in Magic, bringing it to the to Magic Twitter. But basically asking some version of the question of how much would you need to make to justify being a full-time gaming content creator? And 
I was, and I don't know how you feel about this, Brian, but I was kind of irked by it because it's a question that doesn't really matter. Like, you know, if you're just looking for engagement, want to put up whatever, sure. But I've seen too many people, even in those sorts, like asking questions and whatever. And, you know, like everybody's experience and needs are going to be so vastly different that even for me and you, what each of us need is going to be a completely different number. You know, like it's absolutely true. You know, we've talked about that before. Right? Like I use the pandemic. I paid off all my debts and my cars, whatever. So, like, I don't need to make a lot right now. Have I mentioned I hate you again? I feel like I here with your with your eighty degree temperatures and you you paid off debt. <laughs> I feel you, dog. I feel you. But it was so I could get into a situation and do content, right? And not have to make a bunch while I'm building up, right? But you got kids at home. Yep. Right. So I don't have to worry about like feeding, clothing, whatever. Three kids. So, like what your family needs for you to make money is different than what my number is going to be. Or somebody who lives in L.A., in the heart of L.A., right? You got to make way more just for rent or mortgage than I need to make. Hell, I don't even think they could probably find a home for under $2 million or whatever out there, right? Right. That's a whole different ballgame. So when I see all these numbers and you see people, oh, I'd have to make, you know, six figures or whatever. And other people are like, I live in rural Missouri. If I made 30000 a year, it'd be great or whatever. So I don't think it does anything, but I... See, and I've had people reach out and ask me or, you know, and they've shared with me the thing and like, hey, what do you think about this? And I literally told two different people, like, my number doesn't matter. It's literally irrelevant. Like, I have no input to give you to tell you what you need to make. Like, only you can tell me that. Right. Like, you need to cover your mortgage, your food, your utilities. Like yeah. I said, kids, put some money back for savings. Maybe you got to pay for your own insurance or whatever. Like, all that stuff. And then you figure out what the number is you need to make because your number is going to be way different than my number. Hell, just state to state on what we have to pay on insurance is going to be different. Yeah, and I know when I was in Texas, because for whatever reason, they decided they didn't want to be part of the whatever we call it, the affordable care stuff. It was way more expensive than it is here. So, like, even that's going to affect your your number. To the tune of a couple hundred dollars a month. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, Brian. How do, how do you feel about those types of conversations? I, I agree that the number is going to be different for everybody. I guess what some people might like is a ballpark. It really is even hard to say what the ballpark is. There's probably some kind of average you can look up as to what full-time content creators make. And then I guess apply that average to wherever you live and ask yourself, is that going to be enough money? Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe that's a way to do it, like by area or region or something. Know, Twitch, Twitch obviously has leaks all the time where you can kind of see what uh, what creators are making. And yeah, just... but like even then, like those numbers were not like some of those people are making. So they're going to break the scale, you know, because some of them are just making so much money. But I was thinking, like, I I like the idea of maybe like if you could say, hey, I also live in Chicago. And these other, I don't know, 50 creators live in Chicago. And this is how much they say they need to make. But Yeah, that really is what you, I guess, you find. And I'm sure you probably every major city, at least, has a content creator that lives there. And they could probably tell you specifically when they felt like they were, I guess, also somebody, you know, that maybe, as you said, numbers are are so different. Because if you're single or married, the number changes. 
I mean, are you trying to live in a house or an apartment or a condo? Yeah. Right, like that that changes things. Because most of the people I know in California have accepted that, like, yeah, it wouldn't matter if they hit the lottery, they still couldn't afford a house because the market is so crazy. Well, yeah, even even here, I'm thinking about like, okay, if you want to live in the heart of Seattle, that's going to be a different number than living, you know, 20 minutes outside the area. Oh, same thing for you in Dallas, right? If you're living in the heart of Dallas or you're living out in Plano, those are going to be two different numbers. You know, so like, I man, that's such a hard like. And, and I feel bad because I, I understand people just want to know a number that they can aim for and say, like, do I think I could do this on this number? And I would love to give that number to people, but I also don't want to lead people down a wrong road. Right. Like, I don't want to give them a number and then be like they start aiming for that or they get to that. And then, you know, they're still struggling because the number doesn't work for them. Or I set the number too high and they just look and go like, yeah, I'll never get to that. So I can't justify doing it or whatever. So it's a tough spot because you want to help somebody. And like I said, even when I've consulted with somebody, they're like, well, how much should I be looking to make every month? And I'm like, ah, I can't answer that for you. You know, even how much you should be making on your deals or whatever, that that's up to you. What are you trying to get out of the deal? How long do you want the partnership to last? Like, how are they going to use your content? Right. There's a billion things that affect that. Like, and the things I would ask for from Ultra Pro are going to be different than things I ask for from Cardsphere or whatever. Right. Because different requirements for for the deal how they're going to use the contents different you know like so there's just so many layers to it and i think that's what makes content creation so hard for people is there's not an actual handbook like if if i go to work you know for a major corporation you know like when i went to work for watsi and I was going to be a manager in their trade marketing department like i could look up okay how much do marketing managers make yeah. in this part of the country Right. You know, roughly within five or eight thousand dollars, this is what the market is. Right. So, you know what to aim for or what benefits normally come with them. And there's hell, there's Glassdoor and all these other websites you can look yeah. on like what benefits usually come with different jobs or whatever. Right. Like you don't really have that as a content creator. That That's just not a thing. Heck, it, and for something like Twitch, probably something to YouTube, too, even the genre you're in is going to affect that. Because yeah, if you're doing, great. I mean, if you're doing, let's say, you know, in, indie games about, you know, the strategy games built built around medieval Chinese history, your number probably isn't going to match what the, the top person in that category is, isn't going to even come close to matching what the top person in, say, League of Legends or Overwatch would be making. It's just, there's so many factors that, well, even even within that, like the type of content you produce, even within your niche, will come with a difference RPM, CPM. And that's the, yeah. the ad rate they give you. Right. So even making the same type, same category of content as somebody else, the type of content, the way you produce it and the length of it and everything else could lead to a different RPM. So even somebody who gives you a number in the same space might actually be making more or less than you once you're in that space. So that's even another layer that has to be figured in. Also, I've talked to YouTube creators where let's say like, yeah, this video really took off for me in India, but the pay rate for ads in India is different. So true, true. People don't know that. Like, I believe it's it's US, UK, Australia or Canada, Australia as the top tier and then everything else by country. 
I just recently found that out. And, you know, for us, it started to become relevant because we've done ancestry content. So our, our numbers in Nigeria, we never thought we'd have numbers in Nigeria. And apparently we have numbers in Nigeria. So. But you know what? You mentioned Nigeria a few times. It shows exactly. up in your actual comments or whatever. And then some people there go like, oh, some people are talking about having a background in Nigeria. So yeah. they start watching your stuff. Right. So you're going to get more views, but the views might only be worth like a quarter of as much as a U.S. view. You know. So, yeah, there's, there's a whole level of stuff. And I think that's what makes it hard. Right. You, have I, to- I know it sounds like we're trying to not answer the question, but it's just there really no. are so many different things you have to take into account. You're right, though. And this is this is the hard part when people ask me. I feel and, and I do genuinely feel bad because I feel like I'm dodging a question, but I'm genuinely just trying not to give them information that's going to lead them down a wrong road. Yeah, because it's just not there's there's no clear thing. Right. Like, example, when I went looking for like, okay, what should I be charging people for a monthly partnership or a two video deal or whatever? There was all kinds of stuff. People said, you know, well, fifty dollars per you know number of thousand views or whatever or one hundred dollars per thousand or this much. But if it's going to be a long term deal, this much and both. Right. None of my deals match that. Like none of my deals match a single thing that I read. I just went, this makes sense. This is within my like work capacity to be able to deliver on. This seems like something these partners would agree to. And if I can make this last long term the way I want and they're all for it, let's pitch this. And if they just tell me no, they tell me no. And then everything works. And I'm like, okay, well, here's my new baseline for my content. Right now, when I go forward, I when somebody else makes an offer, I can say, well, I already get at least this much for this. Yep. So, like, I have grown since then. I now need to make this much, right? So I set my own baseline. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I know I can live on it, and it's it's positive right now. So <laughs> that's what I'm doing. But ultimately, when it comes to content, we all just make it up as we go along. Yeah, and, the industries really are so new. Yeah, and it seems like people don't realize that, but, you know, YouTube's not that old. I mean, you know, we talked about before Twitch and Justin TV ain't that old, right? So it seems like they're old because we've known them as nerds to be around for, you know, a decade and a half or whatever. But like, they're still really new as far as a scale of business. So it's hard for people to judge. Hell, we're getting to the point now that a lot of companies, even over the last like four or five years, have just realized, I don't care about your sub count. I don't care how many followers you have, right? Like, I want to know your engagement. How many views are you getting per video? How many, you know, impressions are you getting per tweet? Right? Like, that's what they want to know. How many times is somebody going to see the thing that I'm paying you to put in front of people? So you can have 500,000 subscribers, but if you've screwed up and you're only getting 10,000 views a video, they don't care. Right? You're going to get paid for having 10,000 views a video, not having 500,000 subscribers. But before... People are just like, oh, this person's huge. They have a million subscribers or we're going to pay this person. You know, they've got 800,000 followers on Twitter. We're going to pay this person a ton of money and realize they weren't getting a return. Right. So even from the business side, people are learning what they can and can't pay for. And small creators are also able to get deals because some content creators have realized, well, when some of them are smaller, they have more engaged communities. So we get better sell through or whatever because they're actually following what their people say because there's more of a connection you have to pay them less but hey at least the little guys can get a little bit of something you know whereas you couldn't before so the market's still developing 
So it's it's very tough. Like I help people, I try to direct folks where I can, you know, but if you just want a hard number, it just doesn't exist. And even for y'all stuff, like for y'all doing family things, y'all's whole category is going to be completely different than the stuff I do. Yeah. You know, hell, y'all are going to get different sponsors and partner deals than I would even have access to. Yeah, yeah and I'm, you know, we got two separate channels, so the channels are going to have different, you know, audiences and different deals and things. Yeah, that's also true. And, you know, that's something else I'm going to be dealing with down the road because I have a couple of side channels that I do stuff on that are slowly growing. But, like, at some point, they're going to be monetized, and I'm going to have to manage them completely different than my main one because one's about outdoor stuff, animals, camping, whatever. The other one's about me reviewing cool foods, candies, whatever. Those are nothing like my gaming channel. So even sponsors I have on my gaming stuff are not even going to want to touch those other ones. So even that means I'm going to have things, ma- and they'll be valued differently. You know, that's the other thing. So yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's, it's a neat conversation. And I think there's nothing wrong with the engagement just having the conversation. It's more just like, don't read into the numbers too much because the scale is going to be so wide that you're not going to really have a strong takeaway from it, unfortunately. But all right, Brian, where's everybody where they can find you on social media? All right. I am Brian Sonic on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and our family channel on YouTube is Alan's Ever After. And you can find me just about everywhere at Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N. And don't forget to check out the two videos I have up from Cardsphere because you might save yourself a whole lot of money building one of these expensive decks. But as always, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please take care of yourself and your family with all the crap in the world out there and these increasing COVID cases and everything else. And remember to be awesome and be awesome to each other. If you'd like to further support Color of Magic, you can find us on our website at colorofmtg.com. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate other patreon.com slash colorofmagic. You can also find us on Facebook under Color of Magic. And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at Color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it, because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base. 